Well, our Thanksgiving celebration may be over, but we should never not stop giving thanks. We should always thank the Lord for something. And we're now in a season where we're turning our attention to Christmas. Our houses will transform into winter wonderlands on the outside and the inside. Shopping begins where we buy for our loved ones, our children, our grandchildren, our friends, family. And through all the hustle and bustle, may we never forget that the reason we celebrate Christmas is because of Jesus. For the next four weeks, we're going to do a study on Isaiah 9-6, a series which I've called, He Shall Be Called. We're going to look at each title giving, given in Isaiah 9-6, the first being Wonderful Counselor, Wonderful Counselor. I appreciate, I love this time of year. Um, everybody, every family has a different tradition. For years, uh, my wife and I had um, this book called Adornaments. I don't know if many of you have seen that book, and inside is is a, a little ornament that is a book form, and you take it out, and you read it, and then as we read that adornment, we would place it on the tree, and it was something fun that we would do with our grandkids, uh, teach them about different things about Jesus, and who He is, and why He came, and, and for the salvation that He's given to us, and uh, we really enjoyed doing that, and I think from time to time, we need to be reminded who Jesus is, what He's about, what He's done. And Isaiah 9-6 gives Jesus four titles, the coming Messiah, the promised Son that was to come, who would bear the responsibility of a government upon His shoulders. He is Israel's King, and He's given various descriptions or names, the first of which is Wonderful Counselor. There's many times in my life, and probably yours as well, where we just needed some advice. Maybe you're like me, and you see that old meme that says, why do you talk to yourself? Because sometimes you need an expert opinion. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, sometimes we need, to, we need some counsel. We need some advice. We need some direction for life. And can I just tell you that there is no better person that we can turn to that will always tell, tell us the right things in the right season, who has our best interests at heart. There's no one other than Jesus, the Son of God, who loves you and wants to be your counselor. So this morning I want to look at this, this phrase, this name, this title of Jesus, Wonderful Counselor, by looking at it in two parts, first being wonderful, and the second part being counselor. Because what we find with the word wonderful, it kind of gives the idea of extraordinary. Jesus is extraordinary. Now, I've been able in life to witness many things that I felt was extraordinary that well, to be honest, it's just ordinary. Like I remember the very first time when I got to look through a very powerful telescope and see the rings of Saturn. You know, we can't see that with the, 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 the naked eye from 
the, the earth to the space, but when you look at it through the lens of a telescope and, you, and just have the beauty and just what God has created. Or when I remember being at, at the birth of my first child and just through the whole process of my daughter coming and holding, I thought, well, this is extraordinary. But actually, there are many births that are rather quite ordinary in the world. You see, when it comes to Jesus and this idea of this word wonderful and being extraordinary has the concept, the idea behind it of being something that is supernatural and miraculous. And there, everything about Jesus then is extraordinary. He truly is supernatural. He is truly a man who in so many ways is surrounded by the thoughts of miracles Truly, Jesus is extraordinary. And I remember in the Bible that he has an extraordinary name. And there's a story in the Bible, in the book of Judges, a man named Manoah. Manoah was the father of Samson. Many of you may remember the story of Samson. And Manoah and his wife were wanting a child, and the angel of the Lord came to Manoah to tell them that they're going to have a son and the way in which he was to be raised and, uh, you know, all the, all the parameters, all the details to it. And, and, and Manoah, you know, standing in front of the, the angel, asked, well, what is your name, this angel of the Lord? And in Judges 13, 18, the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? This is the same Hebrew word that we find in Isaiah 9, 6. So in essence, he is saying, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is extraordinary, that it is supernatural, that in some sense divine, miraculous, it, it is truly extraordinary. So then it causes us, well, then who is this angel of the Lord? Who did Manoah see? Well, in a few verses later in Judges 13, 22, Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen who? God. So several times in the, in the Bible, we see theophanies or Christophanies, whatever you want to call them, that uh, Manoah seen basically the angel of the Lord who is representative of Christ. Here's Christ. He's seen Christ whose name is wonderful, who is extraordinary. When we come to the New Testament, there's no greater name among in the heaven or on the earth than the name Jesus. Why? Because it's the only name by which we can be saved. Truly, it's extraordinary. I mean, you can't be saved by the name of Todd, and I'm so thankful you can't. I'm imperfect. And you can't be saved by, you know, other uh, so-called uh, religious prophets in the world like Buddha or Muhammad. You can't even be saved by Jesus' mother Mary. Only by the name of Jesus can you be saved. Truly, that is extraordinary. He has an extraordinary name. But not only does he have an extraordinary name, he had an extraordinary birth. We find in the New Testament in Luke chapter 1 where the angel came to Mary to give the announcement that she is going to conceive and bear the Son of God who will be named Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? In other words, you know, uh, uh, 
Mary has not known man in any type of sexual relations. She's, uh, she, she's a young girl, uh, you know, that she's not even married yet, uh, even though she's engaged to, to uh, Joseph. And legally in that time, it was pretty much a contract. It was, it was bound, a, a, a type of uh, arrangement. But yet she did not know her husband Joseph in that way. And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called the Holy, be called Holy, the Son of God. So, in other words, this Jesus, who has a you know supernatural name, extraordinary name, came into this world in extraordinary way. He was virgin born. Here we find that she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She carried Christ in her, in her womb without ever knowing man. Even up to the time of the birth, she did not know man, and Jesus was delivered. Truly, this is extraordinary because never has this ever been done before or after. Such type of birth. Truly, it's extraordinary. Jesus was virgin born, which then makes him a very extraordinary person. Because he is 100% God and 100% man, the divine man, by this extraordinary birth. But not only did he have an extraordinary birth, he had an extraordinary, oh, I went the wrong way, apologize, ministry. Here we go, the extraordinary ministry. We find after uh, his baptism that he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, and then we're given this little synopsis of his ministry in Matthew 4 and 23. It says, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So some highlights about his ministry. First of all, when he taught, people recognized him. Now, he's not like some average teacher. He teaches one who has authority, the Bible tells us. But not only does he teach like someone who has authority, he went and he saw and he had compassion on those that were blind and lame, had various diseases, and he healed them. Now, he's not like a physician who's in the hospital that gives you antibiotics or medicine or resets a bone and you heal. I mean, when he healed somebody, he used no medicine. He said it, he touched them, it was immediate, and it was fully recovered at that time. Truly miraculous. You know what else he did? He raised people from the dead. I mean, Lazarus, I mean, he was in the tomb for four days. Even Mary and Martha, I'll use my King James terminology, he stinketh. (laughs) He smelled, but Jesus called him forth, fully risen, fully well. Truly, he had an extraordinary ministry. People would flock to him. People followed him. He would try to go get rest. (laughs) You know, it's like a mom who just wants a a little bit of time away from her children. So she goes into the bathroom just to get some peace and quiet to herself. And on the door, Mom, what are you doing? You know? I mean, that's how Jesus wanted to get away to get some rest, get some, you know, relaxation. But people just followed him. They just wanted more from him. They, they saw that he was truly extraordinary. Even uh, Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, came to him and says, look, you're not just an average people. We know that you are sent by God because of what you're doing. 
Truly, he had an extraordinary ministry. Well, he also had an extraordinary death. Now, what I'm about to say, I don't mean to sound like I don't have compassion, and I don't care, but I mean, that, that, that is if I don't care, because right? I do. But you realize that there are people around the world that suffered the loss of a loved one that has no impact in our life. Really. Now, when we find out, we may have compassion for that person and, you know, and, and pray, but there, there's just, you know, there are people that, you know, I, I might see on the news that an actor died, and, and, and in my little, you know, sphere of influence, it made no impact, but I, I do feel bad for the family. So, I, I do have some compassion within me, but the death of Jesus not only impacted the world of His day, but it impacted generations to come and will impact several generations yet to come. Because, when, see, when He was put on trial and He was crucified for being the Son of God, for being the King of Israel, He stayed on that cross and He died. And it says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His spirit. Now, look what happened. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Now, I don't know if the death of Jesus was a global impact in the sense that everybody felt the earth shake, but we know in the locality that the temple, the veil that separated, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant or, or, or where they, you know, the, the, the presence of God would be to uh, to man, that that veil was split in two. No more would there be a, a, a barrier between God and man. Jesus tore that veil in two, that we can have direct access to God. And then the, the rocks split. I mean, there was an earthquake at his death. This was not any normal, ordinary death. This death impacted the whole world. His death was necessary, that His blood would be shed, that we could have the forgiveness of sins. But, you know, we can't stop at His death being extraordinary. We've got to go to the resurrection. <laughs> because if Jesus just died and that was it, our hope about salvation is done. It's gone. Because with His death comes the resurrection. There are many scriptures that I would want to use to, to show this extraordinary point about His resurrection. I really had a hard time choosing which one, so I'm going to choose a little lengthy passage in John chapter 20 because I enjoy this so much when uh, after the disciples and the, the, the various women who came to the tomb saw that Jesus was gone, we find Mary Magdalene there at His, at his tomb, at, his, at basically the place where He laid. And we, we have this written, it says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, he's no average gardener, by the way, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. This is the chilling part for me. Jesus said to her, Mary. There's something about Jesus calling her name. It says she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In other words, what was happening here is that when Jesus said Mary, she turned in astonishment and she grabbed him, not, she clung to him. She, she embraced him and she wasn't going to let go. So he was like, come on, I, I still have some work to do. I have to ascend to the Father. You got, you're going to have to let me go. And he tells her to go and tell the other disciples. And so Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he, he said these things to her. There was no person that came to the tomb like Jesus did with Lazarus and said, Jesus, come forth. Jesus was raised by divine power. Death couldn't defeat him. The grave could not hold him. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. He's not dead. This is extraordinary. It's supernatural. It's divine. So everything about Jesus, who He is, and about His life is extraordinary and wonderful. That's the idea, the thought behind the word. Is Jesus extraordinary to you? He is to me. Every time I read the pages of scriptures, there's something about Jesus that he was just no ordinary man. He's my Savior, he is my God, and he wants to be yours too. But not only was he wonderful, extraordinary, he's the perfect counselor. Anybody ever seen it? No, don't maybe just show my hands. Maybe I shouldn't ask that. Anybody seen a counselor? Um, I'm thankful for the people who come along in, to my life and counseled me in situations. But there's no better counselor than Jesus himself. No better one. You know, he is wise. Even from his youth, he is wise. We're told uh, that, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. At 12 years old, he was in the temple. Remember that, the, the, the account where uh, they came uh, to, to the temple during the feast days, and Mary and Joseph were heading back. They went three days' journey, and what horrible parents they were to leave their 12-year-old boy behind. You know that story? They weren't terrible. They were running together. They, they were worried about him. They go back. They find Jesus. They're teaching the teachers in the temple. He was just wise. Well, and he should be because he is the source of all wisdom. 
In fact, Jesus said this. He said, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. From a human perspective, there's been no man other than Jesus that has been wiser than Solomon. But where did Solomon get his wisdom? From God. Who is Jesus? God. He's the source of all wisdom. He is wise. There's no better counselor than a wise counselor. But not only is he wise, he speaks truth. We're told about when Jesus came manifesting, manifesting Himself in the flesh. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. He is truth. Everything about Him is truth. I don't know about you, but I want a reliable counselor. I want a counselor that's going to set me on the right direction and is going to speak truth to my life. Even Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have a counselor that speaks truth. Even when it hurts. Have you ever like read something in the Bible and it just spoke to your heart, and it broke you, or irritated you, where you just wanted to throw it up against the wall, because it just, it spoke to you, and you didn't like to see yourself in that light, but then you come to realize that's the very thing you need. Jesus speaks truth. And truth and love go together. He speaks truth to us because He loves us. Amen. He loves us. But He is our help. He is our help. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews speaks about Jesus being our high priest. And in verse 16... Well, verse 15, it tells us that he was tried or tempted in every point as we are. I want you to think about this, that Jesus had experience what it was like to be us. He was tempted. He went without food. He was tired. He was thirsty. He was rejected. He died. I mean, he, he went through a, a gambit of human experience, and he knows what you're going through. In fact, there is no better person that understands your situation and what you're going through than Jesus himself. Amen. The struggles, the heartbreak, he knows. So the Hebrew writer tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. 
So, so Jesus is that person, like, for example, there have been times in my life where I experienced something where I felt like I was the only one. Reality is I'm not the only one going through that experience. Several people have gone through the same experience. But at that moment, I feel like I'm the only one. And I might try to look for people and say, well, you know, they really aren't going through this, and they're not really going through this, and I go to this person for counsel, but they don't get it. But I know one who does. His name is Jesus. And he is our help. Even the psalmist wrote that God is our help, our buckler, our shield. In the very presence of danger and trials and struggle, there is no better help than Jesus. He is our advisor. Simon Peter, this is in John chapter 6 and verse 68. Jesus had thousands following him, and Jesus began, because he loved them, he told them the truth, and it was, it was tough words. It was tough truth. And many of them began to leave where it was just the 12. And Jesus asked them, are you going to go away too? And this is one of the most shining points of Simon Peter's life. When he answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. In other words, this was a statement of commitment that there's no better person that will speak truth in my life, advise my life, guide my life than Jesus. I'm afraid there's so many times that people life they that that this isn't their they, they don't glance first at the great advisor. That that when they're in struggle, they need advice, they need some wisdom, that they'll go to Barnes and Noble or in this day and age they'll pull up a, a Kindle book, try to find advice through several means and self-help books. When we know that He is the source of truth and wisdom, that we can go to Jesus to get divine advice and help and counsel. Now, I'm not saying that if you needed some counsel and you know, you're purchasing a new car and you wanted some advice of what the color of the car is going to be, I don't really think God cares about the color of your car. What God would be more concerned about is the purchase of the car. If it means that you're going to purchase of the car and take food off the table, He might want you to rethink that. You know, if, 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 if you're like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to go apply for these jobs, and He might not be concerned exactly with, with the particular job. What He'd be concerned with is, you know, if you take this job, is this going to take you further from me, or is it going to draw you closer to me? I mean, there's principles after principles after principles in God's Word where He advises us, He counsels us, and we need to search the Scriptures. Because He is the wonderful, extraordinary counselor that each of us need. And that is the Christ child that came into the world for our benefit for our salvation. But I have a question for you this morning. 
What is the wonderful counselor advising you to do today? What is he advising you to, to do today? Maybe, you know, over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, maybe you experienced some disturbing news. Who are you going to go to to help? Maybe you have some decisions to make and you just simply need some counsel because you want to make the right decision that gives God all the honor and all the glory. Where are you going to turn to? But maybe there's something specific this morning that God is advising you to do. I mean, I could do some generic things that I know God would want you to do. For example, if you're here this morning not knowing Jesus as your personal Savior, I can without a shadow of a doubt tell you what God is advising you to do. Repent of your sins and trust Him because Jesus exchanged His life for yours that He can forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. And He just says, come to me. Accept me today. As the Apostle Paul says, there's no there's no time like today, for today is the day of salvation. And that was what God is advising every man, woman, and child to do, is to trust Jesus. The Scripture says that God isn't desiring that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And every day that the Lord tarries from returning has given us an, another day, an opportunity to follow His advice and come to Him for salvation today. The question is, will you? Will you come to Jesus today? Another thing that the, Jesus advises us to do is, you know, after our salvation is to identify with Him through baptism. No, baptism doesn't save, but what it does is like putting on a uniform. It says we belong to Christ, Christ is ours, and we're identified. We have a unit patch on our shoulder that says we are a believer. We are a child of the King. Would you be baptized? Another thing he advises to do, and some people today says, well, I don't need a church body. Well, I, I beg to differ. It's not because I want a larger, you know, attendance, even though great attendance is awesome, it's wonderful, more the merrier. But God says that, you know, there's, there's advantages to His body to come together collectively to worship Him to serve one another, to walk alongside each other, encourage you. Some of the best encouragement I've ever received is when God put it apart in the heart of another to come alongside me and walk in a very difficult time of my life. Or God uses others, you know, uh, to grow in Christ, to teach me the Scriptures. There's so many advantages of God's, uh, you know, body because we're here to serve one another, to help one another, to encourage one another, to, to, to grow and to give honor and glory to God. So what is He advising you to do today? You know, maybe, you know, you have some choices. Maybe it's, 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 it's in the choices of who you're going to marry. Maybe it's a job change in particular. What advice would God give you to make that decision? What would He want you to do today? So as we stand this morning, we're going to have a time for you to respond to the wonderful counselor. 
I don't know what it is that God has put upon your heart of what you need to do today, but I'm going to stand here in front as we'll have a little bit of music playing, and if you want to come and call upon the name of Jesus for salvation, would you come today? Maybe God has put upon your heart that, you know what, I need to follow the Lord. I know Him as my Savior, but I need to follow Him in baptism. Would you come today? Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I really feel like the Lord's leading me to Faith Baptist Church. I mean, part of me would say, well, I get it. Is that what the Lord is putting upon your heart, to be a part of our church family? Would you come? Maybe you'd like to just simply come. Maybe you have a burden on your heart. you just like to pour out for the Lord. Maybe you want to just kneel at the stage or at the stairs, whatever it would be. I invite you to come and make your petition before God. There is no greater counselor than Jesus. Will you come to Him today? Would you come today? Will you follow the counsel of Jesus? The babe born in Bethlehem that came as a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace who shed his blood on the cross at Calvary because he loved you. He loved you. He died, but he's alive today to come alongside you. He wants nothing but the best for you. But would you be willing to follow him today? Will you follow him?